Hey, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Galatians chapter 1, uh, as, we, uh, as we dive back into God's Word and really talk about, uh, you know, as we've been talking about real men fishing for real men, uh, as we think about what does it truly mean to be a servant of Christ? What does it mean to be a servant of God? And in Galatians chapter, chapter 1, uh, we hear Paul, is kind of at the beginning of the book, uh, the book of Galatians is unique. Uh, of all of Paul's writings, typically in Galatians, uh, in all of Paul's writings to Philippians or the Corinthians or the Romans or whoever it is, uh, Paul will do a general introduction and then he will go into a long prayer. And he will say, hey, I've been praying that God would bless you and you would know his love and you would know his grace, you would know his peace. Uh, You don't find that in Galatians. Basically, Paul is uh, delivering a message to the Galatians to saying that folks, we cannot tolerate error. And what was happening is Judaizers were coming into the people in Galatia and beginning to teach another gospel. As a matter of fact, in Galatians, Paul says, hey, if I or an angel or someone else or one of the apostles comes and begins to teach another gospel, he goes, you need to understand that person should be cursed or cursed, an anathema pronounced on them. And so it's so important that we stay faithful to the gospel. And and really, as we think about Galatians, Paul is intolerant of some things, but tolerant of other things. If you look through God's Word, and there is a lot that is talked about these days about tolerance. How many of you know that? Everybody wants to talk about tolerance. Do you know that throughout Scripture, we are told to be incredibly tolerant of some things and absolutely intolerant of other things? We are told throughout Scripture to be completely tolerant, and you might want to write this down, of other people. Of other people. That man, if we don't like their opinions or their ideas or even their political persuasion, uh, maybe the way they walk, talk, smell, act, uh, we are told throughout Scripture to be amazingly tolerant of other people. What are we told to be incredibly intolerant of? Error. We are supposed to always be completely faithful to the truth, to the truth of the gospel. So we tolerate people, but we do not tolerate error as it relates to the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. You know, there's been studies done, and this probably uh, uh, comes as no shock to you, especially if you are married, that uh, there has been studies done about the closeness of communication. That the closer you are with someone, the less you actually listen to them. (laughs) How many of you understand that? I mean, it's a proven fact. If, uh, and a lot of that has to do with, and some of you are smirking and you're thinking, I can't wait to go home and tell my wife what the pastor said today. I'm telling you, it's been proven. That, and it's not just husband and wife, it's with friends as well. That we have a tendency, when we are with those we are close to, that when we're with friends, that we actually listen less intently than when we're around people that we don't know. Now, part of that is, once you get to know someone, whether it's your spouse or, or, or even your kids or even a good friend, you don't have to listen as intently. Why? 
because you've grown to know each other, right? You, you kind of know what your idea is, you know your heartbeat, you know really what they're... And so you can kind of read between the lines the closer you get. However, the less we know someone, the more intently we have to listen to them in order to understand who they are and what they're saying. And as we think about what Paul is telling to the Galatians, he's saying, listen guys, we need to listen intently to the people who are speaking to us. Listen very intently. Be willing to tolerate them as a person, but don't tolerate error. And so as you think about where we are in our country today, politically and uh, morally and every other way, you and I need to look through the person to the message. What is the message they are teaching? What is the truth or error they are sharing? And we absolutely reject the error. Where scripture is very clear, guys, we've got to stand firm and we've got to stand strong. And this is exactly what Paul tells us to do in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Notice what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I'm still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Guys, as you and I journey in this world, if we're going to be real men, real men who walk in faith and stand for the faith, we've got to understand this verse. That if all you want to do is be applauded by men and praised by men and, and, and be approved by men, then you are probably not going to be a good servant of Christ. You are not going to be one that holds firmly to the gospel. You're going to have to buy into or at least allow error to roll from people's mouth, and you're going to have to act like you like it. That's the only way to gain approval by men. That's the only way to keep approval by men. Just look around, right? Man, as soon as someone comes out and states a clear fact, even if it's scientific fact right now, if it hurts someone's feelings, they're going to be pounced on, right? If, if someone says something that is absolutely scientifically true, but it hurts someone's feelings, especially if they're to the left of you, they're going to attack you. And so, men, let me, under, let me just bring us back and, and, and gain some perspective. If we are going to be true servants of Christ, we've got to be the kind of men that are willing to tolerate people, but we are extremely intolerant of error. And so as we journey in sharing our faith and really trying to be fishers of men, we are going to have to carry that differentiation. And it's hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes to tolerate people. Uh, some people just get under your skin. Just point to somebody that gets under your skin right now. Be, be willing to do that. You know, there are people that get under your skin. You know, sometimes that, that's what we pick on. That's some of the best conversation we have between our friends and even our families. We pick on people. Uh, we, we call out their weaknesses and stuff. And if you're really good friends, they're going to chuckle about it and laugh about it. But if we're really going to share the gospel, we're going to have to look beyond just those things that annoy us of someone else and understand what those people who are not faithful to Christ, are not yet followers of Christ, we are going to have to look beyond our own personal preferences, tolerate the person, but deliver then the truth, whether they reject the truth or not. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, 
what I'm finding is I planted this church in Galatia. It used to be faithful. Now all of a sudden, false teachers have come in and started, have started saying, listen, yeah, faith in Jesus Christ is good, but now you have to add the Old Testament law. And Paul says, that is another gospel. He says, the faithful servant of Christ is tolerant of people, totally intolerant of error. And so as I thought today, what I would share is I would share in that last phrase, he says this. Look at, let's read it again, verse 10. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? If you are living your life trying to win the approval of people, you are probably not going to be pleasing God much. I'm going to say that again. Paul is simply stating, if you're rolling through life, always worried about trying to win the approval of people, you are probably not going to please God very much. Now continue to read. He says, or am I trying to please people? He says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. That last phrase, a servant of Christ, depending on your translation, it might say a a slave of Christ. It might say a bond servant of Christ. That is really the words. That that basically the idea, uh, it would be somewhat similar uh, to our employment idea today, but it's also a little different. Like you and I uh, have the ability uh, in our day to be employed by anybody we want to, right? Uh, We have the ability to have two or three or four part-time jobs if we wanted to, where none of those jobs really uh, provide for all of our daily means. Now, in those days, if you were, what is the best translation here, a bond servant, that means that you have chosen an individual that you are going to give 100% of your labor to. That's the way it was in biblical times. That You had chosen an individual. Now, sometimes it was because you got indebted to them and they took your life and, and your livelihood and they allowed you to work it off. But in those days, there was also a provision in the law that meant if I was a bondservant to someone, not only did that person get 100% of my work and my energy and efforts, It also said that person was 100% responsible for providing me and my family food, lodging, and everything. And so that's what Paul is saying. Listen, he says, I have sold out to God. I'm not going to part-time work for man and part-time going to work for God. I'm not going to split my time between pleasing God and pleasing man. He says, I am going to sell out to serving God. And I'm going to give God 100% of my energy and 100% of my effort in everything I do. I'm not going to split time pleasing man or pleasing God. Then he says, then God, since I've sold out to him, is going to supply all of my needs, anything and everything that I need. And he says, that's why I call myself a servant of Christ. So I thought today I would share with you biblically, as we look in the New Testament, what are some characteristics biblically, of a servant of Christ, of a true servant of Christ. Are you ready? Thought number one is this, is that you know and hold firmly to the truth of the gospel. That you know and hold firmly to the truth of the gospel. Do you know what the gospel is? And I want you to know, if you know what the gospel is and you share the gospel, there are going to be people that are intolerant of you. How many of you understand? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but through me. Guys, you and I have to understand, if we're going to be a servant of Christ, we have to know the gospel. We don't compromise the gospel. We don't share the gospel. We don't try to water down the gospel or dumb down the gospel so it's pleasing to more people. We don't need to shy away from the message. If Jesus said it, then we have to understand that is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the way to God. I'm the way to salvation. I am the truth. I am ultimately the only truth there is about salvation. I am the only begotten of the Father. And I am the life. If you ultimately want life, life eternal, it comes through one person, Jesus Christ. So to be a servant of Christ, you have to know fully and share the gospel uncompromisingly. What was happening here in Galatia is that people were beginning to believe a gospel plus something else. A good news plus something else. You and I need to understand it is just the gospel. It is gospel, the gospel plus nothing else. So to be a servant of Christ, we have to know that first and foremost. Here's the second thing you and I need to understand, and it has to do with our relationships. A servant of Christ, to truly be a bond servant of Christ, we will do our best to live in proper relationship on a daily basis, not only with God, but also with others. So I know the gospel. But then I also want to do my very best as I journey through life to live as a bondservant of Christ in proper and good relationships with God and others. You say, where do you find this? Look in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Notice what Micah said. He says, He has shown you, O, o, o mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Guys, you ever wonder what God requires of you? As a bondservant of Christ, do you want to know what God requires of you? Here it is. Here it is. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, to be a bondservant of Christ, it means that I care about my relationships. That I want to do my best to live in good relationships. That doesn't mean it's always going to happen, but I, as far as it depends on me... I'm going to do my best to live in good relationship with God and others. And I love these words. And, and by the way, this should inform us in everything that we do, in every way we operate, in every business dealing, in every conversation. This verse should inform us, but it also should empower us to live the way God wants us to live. And so notice what it says, to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Guess what? Even within those three ideas there that Micah shares with us is the idea that we need to tolerate people, but we're amazingly intolerant of error. That we're going to journey in such a way that everything I do, I want to do justly. I always want to do right by other people. I want to do right by my family. I want to do right, right by my spouse. I want to do right by my employer. I want to do right by my government. I want to do my best to live and act and walk and talk in a just or a righteous manner. But then he says, not only that, do I want to act justly? I want to love mercy. There it is. I want to be tolerant of other people. How many of you like it when you truly and genuinely know that you experience the mercy of God? I do. 
I mean, give me justice, right? Give me, you know, give me justice, give me mercy, not justice. That's what I want. And the truth is, he says, listen, as you and I journey as bondservants of Christ, that we want to live in such a way that we deliver mercy all the time, that we are tolerant of other people. Now, we don't tolerate error, but we want to be merciful and gracious to other people. And then notice what he says, and walk humbly with your God. That, man, I'm just going to day by day live with the understanding that, God, you're God and I am not. God, you see things that I don't see. Boy, if you look through the Old Testament, especially when the children of Israel were being judged by other nations and oftentimes more evil nations, it was not uncommon for a prophet, whether it was Jeremiah or Habakkuk or someone, to, to, to basically prophesy and basically challenge the children of Israel and say, if you don't turn back from your wicked ways, God's going to judge you. How many remember that? Over and over and over in the Old Testament, right? But then there would be other times that that prophet would come back to God and say, God, I, I know that we've acted wickedly, but how in the world, God, are you judging us with people who are more wicked than we are? You know what I'm saying? You're saying this doesn't make sense. God, yes, we have failed and we've fallen and we've disobeyed your law, but God, the people you are using to judge us are us ten times over. You know what that means? That means we just got to walk humbly before God. God's got a plan. God sees things that we don't see. God knows things that we don't know. God's ultimately going to work it out in a way that perhaps you and I don't understand it fully. So thought number one, if you and I are truly going to be bondservants of Christ, is that we know the gospel and we don't compromise the gospel. Secondly, is that we understand that our relationships, as best as they depend on us, with God and others, we always want to do the right thing. Here's another thought. Number three, I want to live with humility. We just saw the idea of humility with God, but a servant of Christ humbly acknowledge and accepts his own imperfections. Guys, we can't be people that are always walking around pointing out the imperfections, the failures, and the sins of others if we don't first acknowledge our own if we don't acknowledge our own. If, if you want, if you just want to plan uh, uh, what you're going to say at the end, I'm going to leave uh, time for testimony. Uh, for, you, for if someone in here is uh, without fault, without sin, and you have completely sanctified and purified your life, and you no longer sin in what you say or what you do, I'm going to have open mic right after I'm done. All right, so just prepare. Prepare the way. Come, come, get, how, many of you are, how many of you want to come share at the end just how perfect you are? Yeah. What does the Bible say? Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all, everybody say that's me. Yeah, that's us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we walk with humility. We should never walk in such a sense or with this idea when we look down, even those who disagree with us, even those who reject the gospel. We should not walk in such a way that thinks I'm better than them, but by the grace of God, I have been saved from the sin that you're now participating in. Man, we're all broken. And I, I love what Paul says. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has missed the mark. 
And that ought to be our attitude and our heartbeat when we are sharing our faith with others is that, man, I am not sharing the good news of the gospel because I didn't need it. I'm sharing the good news of the gospel because I need it just like everybody else. Because everybody that's ever walked the face of this earth has fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has missed the mark. And as a result, that shouldn't bring an arrogance or a pride. It should bring a humility when we share our faith with others. That man, but for the grace of God, there go I. So a true servant of God, a true bond servant of Christ, knows the gospel and never compromises the gospel, does his best to live in right relationships with God and others, also walks humbly as it relates to his own personal righteousness and his own sinfulness and his own weaknesses. Man, some of you guys here are so faithful as you journey through church and, and you've grown in your faith. Uh, but I, I want you to know part of your testimony is not to walk through the halls of the church as if you've never sinned looking down on those who are living like you did five years ago or i did 25 years ago but instead we journey through life in such a way that when i i see someone else who is struggling with the imperfection or struggling with the sin man i come up alongside them not as if i'm better than them but as a brother in the faith who wants to help them overcome their weaknesses and imperfections it starts with the gospel but it also ends with a brotherly love that encourages and compels and exhorts people to be better than who they are because that's who god wants us to be and so we need to live with a humility man there is nothing more powerful than and we see it in the ncaa tournament right now uh, one of the best things, it's just amazing to sit up there and watch. And it's also discouraging. You watch everybody who's playing now is a good basketball team. But it's amazing to sit there and watch a basketball team where the ball is always moving. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like the defense is just trying to do everything they can to chase it down. And after about the sixth or seventh pass, you got some guy standing over there on, on the three-point line, and there's no one around them. Sometimes they hit the shot, sometimes they don't. But what causes that? It's unselfishness. And we've already seen in the tournament, haven't we, some teams that are clearly better than other teams, they get beat. What typically happens in those situations when things begin to freeze up, that someone stands around dribbling the ball, trying to create their own shot, and forgets the idea that, man, I got four other guys on the court. And so you and I, as we journey through life, we need to understand that humility rules the day and ultimately will encourage others to be better because I'm willing to humble myself, not only before God for salvation and forgiveness, but in front of others. Man, when someone comes in and broken and sin and just struggling with something going on in their life, whether they're a brother or sister in the faith or they're not yet in the faith, man, be humble and gracious and merciful. Why? Because we first received grace and mercy for others. Here's another characteristic as I look in God's Word of what it truly means to be a bondservant of Christ. And it has to do with this temptation. 
We've already talked about the humility of, of understanding that none of us are sinful, but we also have to look and think that a true servant of Christ will do his or her best to control their appetites. And the appetite I'm talking about is not just when we're sitting at the buffet or we're down at the Golden Crowd. I'm talking about an appetite for sin. I'm talking about when Satan puts a temptation in front of you. And I don't know what your temptations are. I don't know what your uh, pet sins are. I truly believe that we all have some. We all have a couple of areas that Satan, if he wants to trip us up, he knows he comes at you with this or comes at you with this and comes at me with this. We all have these areas. But as servants of Christ, we want to do our best to control our appetite. Notice what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. He says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. Everybody say sanctified. Man, that I want to constantly live with an attitude that in my mind, in my words, in my actions, in my thoughts, that I want to become more and more pure. I want to be less and less prone to fall or prone to be fell, uh, to sin. I want to live that way. I'll never reach perfection. There have been those over the history of Christianity uh, who thought you could get there. They, they, you, you go back and look at some of the early, um, uh, early starters of the, uh, of the Methodist movement. They really believed that you could take, and if you want to know why they were called method, because they had met, that was a method to holiness, which ultimately led, if you didn't know this history, there were 12 steps. Well, anybody ever been through AA or you heard of 12 steps? It goes right back to Methodism, that they thought they developed 12. By the way, these are all good steps, all right? But you're never going to get to perfection this side of heaven. But they believed you could. If you followed these 12 steps, you could get to complete purity. None of us will ever get there. But what I love about, if you read the early writers, we should always be making progress. How many of you understand that, right? We will never become perfect, but we should be making progress. Now, I also know, and I've been around long enough, and you've been around long enough, that there are times that we make some progress, a couple of steps forward, a step back, a couple of steps forward, a step back. You know, that's common. That's common to man. That's common to us. That's common to the sanctification process. I want you to know that we'll push the limits. We'll go a little further with God. Then we have a tendency to draw back. Then we push a little further. Then we draw back. That's not that uncommon. Now, what we don't want to do is take a step or two forward and four steps back. That should be uncommon in the faith, in the follower of Christ. We should and could and can Make a couple of steps forward and have a step back. Make a couple of steps forward and have a step back. We should never go all the way back to where we started. And so notice what Paul says. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. God, guys, listen to this. You want to know what God's will is for your life after, say, after salvation? Is that you would be sanctified. 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 God's will is for me to be sanctified. God desires more than anything for John Mark to be more pure and more holy, holy, not perfect, today than I was 25, 26 years ago when I started pastoring this church. How many of you understand that? How many of you with me expect me 
Well, for those who've been around, some of you, if you've been around a while, you might expect me to be better than I am right now. But don't you expect me to, to slowly live a more and more pure lifestyle? Man, how would you feel if you constantly had to walk around in this community and apologize for what your pastor did out there? You know, you might cut me some slack once or twice. But about that third or fourth time, you kind of say, you know, Pastor, you kind of need to get rid of that. How many of you understand what you, you expect out of me? You know God expects out of you? Don't throw an expectation on me you're not willing to put yourself under. Because God says right out, Paul says right here, God's will for your life is that you would be, I heard mumbling out there. God's will for your life is that you would be sanctified not perfect not pure not proud not arrogant but making progress now continue to read on remember the idea is that i would become better and better at controlling my appetite for sin he says you would be sanctified that you would avoid sexual immorality that each of you back to all of us should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So more and more, what should happen? I should become more and more sanctified. I should constantly be making progress. I should do everything I can to control my appetite for sin. That's part of the process that as a bondservant of Christ, as a follower of Christ, that I would more and more control my appetite for sin, that people should notice over the seasons, over the years, over the months, they should notice some things that used to trip us up no longer trip us up. Maybe it's some things I used to say I no longer say. Maybe it's some places I used to go that I no longer go. Maybe it's some interactions I used to have that I no longer have. Maybe it's some business dealings I used to have that I no longer have. We should constantly be growing in our sanctification. We should constantly control our appetite. We should constantly be looking for ways to get out of the temptation that Satan will set in front of us. Now, there will never be a time in your life, guys. There will never be a time in my life, guys, that Satan won't tempt us. It doesn't matter how old you are. The temptation may change, but they will never stop. I'm going to say that again. The temptation that Satan brings your way may change, but they will never stop. And Satan is a crafty liar. How many of you know that? And when he sees you stop falling into certain temptations, into sin, what do you think Satan's going to do? He's going to come up with a different one for you. He's going to find another weakness. He's going to see another blind spot. And you and I constantly need, be, need to be controlling our appetite for sin. We need to look for ways to avoid temptation. Here's the next thing. A true bondservant of Christ lives in a worshipful dependence on God each and every day. Lives in a worshipful dependence on God each and every day. I love what um, is said by the writer of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. It says, through Jesus, therefore, 
let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that openly profess His name. Man, let us continually walk in such a way that as servants of Christ, that we live with an attitude of dependence and worship of God. That we are constantly walking and constantly talking. Man, through Jesus, I can continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise and worship. Man, we've been through a tough season, a tough year. And I've already heard people talk about, uh, I'm coming back Easter. And I'm coming back here, coming back there. You know, I will just tell you this, uh, you know, we've got a lot of people and we've had some dialogue uh, about this. Uh, we've got people in our church who are, who are mask wearers and some people are not. How many of you know that? We've got people in our church, uh, in the Christian faith, that, that, that they are vaxxers and they're anti-vaxxers. I'll get the vaccine, everybody should get the vaccine, I'm not getting the vaccine, no one should get the vaccine. How many of you even know there are people like that? You know what? Here's the way I look at it. If you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, you don't wear a mask. Know the risk. If you want to get a vaccine, get a vaccine. If you don't want to get a vaccine, don't get a vaccine. Just know the risk. All right, I really don't care. I really don't care. And, and you know, I, I, I don't make a habit of speaking for God, but uh, I, I don't ever see those two things addressed in Scripture. I mean, if you do, show them to me. But what I do see in Scripture is that a servant of Christ should be in worship. So don't sit there and make your passion about mask, all about mask or no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. When you won't follow the one thing that Christ says, not only at the beginning of Scripture, all the way that we're to worship God, but all the way through Revelation. By the way, do you know that someday, somewhere in eternity, that we are going to worship God for all the rest of eternity? How many of you know that? And some of y'all are going to be totally unprepared. God's going to look down and say, this your first time? He goes, you, he says, you went, uh, so we're talking about masks. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know, that's what he's going to say. He's going to look down and he's going to say, man, is this your first time in worship? No, he says, didn't I ask you to worship? Didn't I tell you to continually offer a sacrifice of praise? So here's the point. Guys, we've got to be faithful to worship. We've got to be faithful to worship. At the end of the day, we have to continually offer a sacrifice to praise. Now, I will parenthetically say, and, and this is something for people online as well, if you have a compromised immune system, I understand whether you're going to be in a crowd or be in a large group or whether you want to be social, I, I totally understand. And I respect your opinion on that. But man, if you are healthy as a horse and when we get back through this or you've gotten the place where you've said, I'm going to take the vaccine or I'm not going to take the vaccine, don't ever use that as an excuse not to be a worshiper of Christ. Don't ever let that be an excuse not to be a worshiper of Christ because we're commanded to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, that we live with that. Here's another idea. If we're going to be bondservants of Christ, a true bondservant of Christ serves others just like Christ did. Men, we cannot fall short in this area. 
Guys, we cannot fall short in this area. Who are you serving? Where are you serving? How are you serving others? Boy, if you go back to John chapter 13, notice what it says in verse 15. You talk about serving others. It says, through Jesus, excuse me, John chapter 13, verse 14. He says, now that I, the Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He says, I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Men, if you are truly a bondservant in the definition of bondservant, it means that the one has who has become a bondservant to another has committed to give their very best to their master. As a child of the king, how can we do anything less? When we move towards Easter and you saw the sign, whatever it takes, over 2,000 years ago, God looked at you and he looked at me and looked at this world and saw it broken in sin, saw it dead in its trespasses, saw it desperately in need of a savior. And God said, whatever it takes. And he sent his son to die on a cross he didn't deserve, be buried in a tomb that was borrowed, to rise again the third day, to offer forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life for all who believe. As a bondservant of Christ, guys, we've got to give our best. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for the opportunity just to uh, spend time today defining really what it means to be a servant of Christ. God, I pray that we would leave here being amazingly tolerant of people, but absolutely intolerant of error. Let us share the gospel and know the gospel in an uncompromising way. Let us walk humbly before you, God, and live as best we can in right relationships with others. God, let us live a life that is filled with worship, but let us also serve one another because we've got the greatest example of a Savior who knelt down before disciples and washed their feet one of those who would still betray him, all others who would deny him and reject him. But he did it anyway. God, let us be men who look into the eyes of our saviors, Savior and simply say, because of what he did, I'll give my best. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. and amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day.